Welcome back. Oh, oh my gosh, here we are. X-rated movies, part four. Yes, of our Angels in America thon. <laughs> Look at there. It, it flows. America thon is what I'm. You know. Yeah. It's that hard K. You're not into it. I don't know. It's more funny than flowy. I guess. Mm, okay. I've been described that way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this one was called. I'll do the robot voice. <laughs> this is the first so act part of two. Perestroika, yep. chapter four. Keep moving. Ah, is that it? That sounds right. Okay. Yeah, I think with an exclamation point. Yeah, I think you're right. I think so, you're right. So try it again with more. Keep moving. <laughs> That's good. Okay. Stop moving. Uh, this is well. This is a, a an odd chapter, I feel. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We let's see. What, what were my main takeaways? We've got um, the at the end of the last episode, the angel comes down, talks to Pryor, but we only see like, oh, she's here. Yeah. And this time we get their conversation. Right. Um. So the the angel conversation, it's very odd tonally compared mm-hmm, to the rest of the movie. Mm-hmm. It's more comical. And I remember, I feel like I talk about people I used to date, and I feel like that's a big source of where I get a lot of information. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, But I dated someone once who had read the script of Angels in America, and he says it's very clear that you're supposed to see the strings on stage when the angel appears. That you're not supposed to do anything to hide that it's sort of a facade. I was going to say, I didn't like the wings. I thought they looked bad. Right. And so I think that's part of it is that it's supposed to kind of look phony and fake. And the only thing I can think of is say, this is the tale of Joseph Smith. This one even has like scene stones, the way that like the, the story of mm-hmm. Mormon does. And uh, it wouldn't go the way that you see it in scripture mm-hmm. or like the book of Mormon or, or, or other things. Like, because Prior Walter doesn't act or talk like a Bible character throughout any other part of his life, so why would he talk that way now? Sure, okay. Or why would he act or react that way as like, oh, yes, I've been having these dreams, and yes, I know exactly of the implements that you're looking for. It would sort of be like a situation comedy a little bit. Like, we'd have this all-knowing, all-powerful angel coming down and a totally confused human being like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> it's like in Bible stories, like it seems like the all-powerful ethereal religious figures and the human figures are all sort of on the same page. Yeah. And uh, I think what this is trying to say is that uh, maybe not. Maybe yeah. they wouldn't be. Yeah, Moses doesn't seem so freaked out that uh, a burning bush was talking to him. Right. He's just sort of like, oh, yeah, this oh, guy. Yeah. I got it. Okay. <laughs> Gave me these tablets. I'm good to go. Yeah. Or I, I think specifically it's a critique on the Book of Mormon where there's like, yeah, scene stones and a, and a bunch of bullshit that like even other religious people have a tough time swallowing. Yeah. And, and don't the, don't the uh, religious texts, at least the Bible, describe angels as like having 700 eyes and several wings and like they're supposed to be terrifying. You know, I'm just not familiar enough with the Bible, but I guess there are books in the Bible where there's like 
giants and weird looking creatures and things like that yeah. so i think angels are supposed to be kind of scary looking well i mean they do have eight vaginas mm. they're these hermaphroditic well nymphos are female uh, uh satyrs are male i don't know what what a unisex gender queer sex fiend is called mm. eight vaginas yeah i don't eight vaginas and all those suckers one two three four five I mean, I've got like six appendages tops. What am I going to do about those other two? You can't do a pterodactyl on a on an angel. <laughs> What's that? Or, uh, no, that wouldn't work. An an- well, a pterodactyl is where you're blowing a guy and your neck's going like this, and then you're jacking off two guys, one in each hand. It's a ah, I, I can picture it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. If, like, I'm picturing if they're all like lined up like a like a points of a stop sign, I'd have to use like my whole forearm and fist and just like do like a windshield wiper motion. Right, so like a hexagon. <laughs> just wipe, wipe, wipe. I don't know. I don't well, know how you do that. <laughs> well, I remember a long time ago, some friends and I got into a discussion as like what constitutes sex because uh-huh. it was like someone was like, "Oh, I had like ten sex partners in one day," but like one was just like she gave someone a hand job. I was like, "Well." I guess that counts, but like, I count that. Yeah, but uh, my friend was joking. I was like, "Well, like, <laughs> I have ten fingers and ten toes. If I like finger ten people at the same time and like toe ten people at the same time, does that mean I'm having sex with twenty people at once?" Yes, as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> putting her her middle toe up someone's butt. I don't know how they're all going to get in on uh, yeah, in there. We, we, we couldn't work out the logistics of how you could get five butts to fit on one foot. But uh, theoretically, sure, it's like, yeah, you'd be having sex with 20 people at the same time. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Overachiever. Yeah, we started calling Spread her the puppet eagle. master after that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think we got off track here. Yeah, well, I, I mean, well, you know, eight vaginas, it's complicated. <laughs> There's a lot of ground to, to mine there. So, um, but yeah, they have they have sex. That's what gives him the wet dream. Yeah. By the way, I had a, not a wet dream, but I had a sex dream about a woman recently. Mm. And uh, I'm not going to mention her name. I don't think you know who she is, but it doesn't matter. Um, and it was just very like, like I'm overdue for sex. I think if now I'm like, you know. Even women. women will do. Yeah, yeah. At this point, even if you'll stoop so low to. I haven't had a sex dream about a woman in a long, long time, but I think that like it's just been so long that I'm like, you know, I could, I could go for that. Any port in a storm. Yeah. <laughs> and she was, she was trying to get me to have a threesome with her and her boyfriend, but the boyfriend oh, was like, well. "He's gay. He wants to fuck me, not you." And she's like, "He'll come around." <laughs> and then we ended up, she and I ended up having a sex, not the boyfriend, but oh. whatever. It was, but that was like, this is getting a little personal. <laughs> Did you go all the way? I mean, sort of. She kind of like threw herself at me. It was sort of like, it wasn't like, I don't want to say. It was like the angel on prior. Yeah. I mean, like I wasn't an unwilling participant, but it was definitely like, I'm not in control here. Yeah. I was going to say you had to be, if, if, if was there completion, I guess I should ask. I don't think so. Okay. I mean, maybe in the dream. Or was it like trying to stick a marshmallow in a, in a parking meter? Pushing rope, yeah. as they say. Uh, no, I was... Uh, well, I don't know. It wasn't like that kind of sex dream. It was just like... Did you eat that puss? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Isn't that weird? I was into that. 
No, no, I don't know. Maybe I, maybe I, maybe I'm on the Kinsey scale. Maybe I'm not quite the the six I thought I was. <laughs> Is that where you always put yourself, like hard six? Yeah. No, maybe maybe I'm like a four or a five. I don't yeah, know. Well, yeah, maybe. Anyway, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> that whole thing. I don't know. There's a lot of like gobbledygook about you're a prophet and. Um, Wait, wait, was, he, was this the part where they're talking about how everyone's in a cult? Oh, no, that was when, that's later, with Lewis and the, the Mormon guy. Yeah, Lewis and Joe, who've been shacking up for three weeks, which parallels prior, because he's like, it was three weeks ago I had the stream about an angel. Right. And then we cut to Lewis and Joe, and he's like, I can't believe I've been in bed with a Mormon for three weeks. Right. Big nipples on Patrick Wilson, by the way. Were they big? I didn't notice. They were they were kind of giving me a know me at the end of uh, Showgirls vibes. You think he had lipstick on them? They were Is a little that... bright. They were a little red for me. I don't know. I like that scene when, when they Not wake again, up. Not again, just saying. <laughs> when when uh, uh, Joe wakes up and he, he kind of smiles and... He like rolls over real lazily, and he's like, "Hi, lover." That feels real. That feels uh, real. Lived in. Yeah. And then, of course, Lewis has to ruin the whole moment oh, by. Lewis sucks. <laughs> he really does. Uh, he's really Although, not my favorite character. I will say, you know how we complain about how gay movies from this time they feel like they're meant for a straight audience. Okay. I don't get that from this. Like, uh, no, it feels like it's for everybody, honestly, to me. Like, the scene where Lewis is, like, trying to seduce Joe, like, when they get to his apartment, like, right at the beginning. That was in this one, yeah. Yeah, and he's yeah. talking about how, like, smell is a really underrated <laughs> mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. sexual element. Like, the way that they kiss, like, it's just, it seems passionate to me. Like, it, it reads true, and... I'm just like, this doesn't read like most gay movies from this time. I mean, Mike Nichols is no stranger to Gaydom. Like, he, he did direct The Birdcage. Right. Um, also, apparently, he had an affair with some photographer at some point. So A male photographer? Yes. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah. Well, that's according to the photographer. Okay. So, like, he's like a two on the Kinsey scale then? Yeah. I don't know. While watching it, I was like, this doesn't seem like it's watered down queer issues. No. And I, yeah, I felt, it felt real. It felt lived in. Yeah. It's good. They, they, they did a lot of intimacy work, you can tell. And it, it also seemed like they were like, gay people need to watch this and, and react to it positively. Mm-hmm. Like, they need to be, yes. Right. For this stuff. Didn't Tony Kushner write the screenplay? Yeah. Too? Yeah. So he's, he was probably on set being like, uh, just little stuff like that. I I don't know. Just taking the movie in the time and place that it was made, where most big budgeted movies like they had to primarily appeal to a straight audience. I'm not getting a lot of like, oh, we need to keep the straight. No alienating the straights here. Can't yeah. make it too queer. Like which, which I don't know for like that scene. Yeah, between Lewis and Joe. Like, I was like, oh, no, this is very gay. Yeah. This is very gay. I mean, simultaneously, though, like, I don't feel like it's just for gay people either. I feel like this is for everybody. And he's just, like, not watering down the gay sex parts. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, it does have that, you know, I think you you say that, like, Philadelphia is sort of like this. Like, it's sort of explaining AIDS to straight people. Yeah, that's a movie for straight people. 100%. (laughs) Is it? It's been a long time since I've seen Philadelphia, so. And, like, here, like, we do get explanations of aids but it doesn't feel like it's 
like starting at square one or something or holding our hands through it yeah and it's not it doesn't it doesn't explain queerness either it's just sort of like this is what it is take Mm -hmm. it or leave it so Mm -hmm. yeah i like that too you mentioned as the credits were rolling for this that uh you're like james cromwell he was in one chapter and he's still in the credits like he comes back yeah comes right back uh very soon and I like his his exchange between him and, and Belize. He's uh-huh. like, nurses are supposed to wear white. He's like, and doctors are supposed to be asleep at home in Westchester. Yep. I'm like, ah, oh, I knew I liked Belize. Oh my god. So yeah, this is uh, the beginning of the Belize and uh, Roy Cohn relationship, which I think goes through the rest of the play. I think so. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's pretty juicy. Just gonna say. Um, we get a lot of the uh, original odd couple epithets thrown around, uh, which are very uncomfortable for me to read and see because we have <laughs> subtitles on. But um, it's good. It's interesting because it's like earlier Pryor said that he stole makeup. Oh, it was from the clinic counter. Yeah, it was an emotional emergency. And we also get like, uh, you know, what laws are you willing to break? I think he says. And it's like, this is a time where that sort of test is put to Belize with the with the AZT drugs that he's sort of like willing to break the rules for this guy because he's a fellow queer. I don't know exactly why he's like, here's what you want to do to survive. Yeah. I, it's it, unclear why he, he wants to give him. It's almost like queer solidarity. It's like. Even though he's a shithead. He doesn't e- know he's Even though he's a shithead, head, it's like what you're about to go through isn't necessarily... He's like, what you're about to go through is so bad, like, no one deserves that. Yeah. So he's, like, trying to give him a leg up. And so he... Roy pulls all his strings and gets his own personal supply of AZT. And that's when Belize is like, you have to give me some. Yeah. And... It's weird because it's like he has to go a little bit into the dark Roy side. He has to stoop to Roy's level. In order to get him. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like he can come back and he does. But it's like, and Roy even says like, you can have one bottle and he takes three. Yeah. Like that's right at this point. Oh, sure. It's just, you know, there's a theme that's been running through of like the sense of justice. Like what is just? And that I was like, you could have taken five as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. It's also because... Roy respects these acts of strength. Like, yeah. he doesn't respect politeness, niceties. He doesn't respect going through proper channels. He respects you taking what you believe is yours. Make the law rather than subject yourself. Exactly, to yeah. yeah. So it's like, even Ugh. when he... Saw, yeah, I know, it's I totally like it. gross. <laughs> but it's like, even when he saw Belize like, taking all those bottles, like, he didn't say, like, oh, no, 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 you can't do that. It was like... Yeah. He knew that, like, this was the price that had to be paid. And they had that big, like, fight, and it wasn't until uh, Belize throws the K-word around yeah. that he's like, okay, now we're talking. Yeah, yeah. He's like, now you can have a bottle. He's so, he's so reprehensible. But you also, like, it's it's weird. I, like, so, and this was the moment, I think, maybe around here where I started to be like, Tony Kushner's a really good writer because if you can make this fully dimensional character, like, a villain this monster a person yeah and still have it be like i get where he's coming from kind of i understand his character even though i think it's awful mm-hmm. but that's good writing mm-hmm. and he's not like monologuing at us he's not like i am evil for these reasons <laughs> it's just sort of like he's just being him but it shows us so much every time i think we talked about this in our nixon episode where it's like oliver stone's hatred towards richard nixon doesn't really come across in the movie yeah. like he he is it actually seems like he's fairly sympathetic to Nixon, which 
you know, if you've ever like watched an interview with Oliver Stone, is very antithetical to <laughs> his positions on life. And yeah, it feels the same way that like even though Roy Cohn represents probably everything that Tony Kushner is against in life, he still sees him as a human being and realizes that he's multifaceted and has different dimensions to him and still like you know bleeds if you cut him like he's still a human being i'm super not sympathetic to his character but i like that he's super complex right like even when he's going through cramps i'm not like oh no not him i'm like good yeah (laughs) i was like yeah well because like even even when he gets the cramps he's kind of shitty about it he's like oh this is why women go crazy once a month it's like he can't even just be dignified i know in all this but that's uh, good. That's good. That's good writing, and it's good acting on Al Pacino's part. It's, it's I'm getting the whole package here. Real quick, the score because like we only get the opening credits twice, right? But uh, more information from an ex. It's funny we were talking about him before we started recording. But my first serious boyfriend, the one that was a, a classical musician, he played the oboe. <gasps> oh, um, nasal as they described uh, it. In nasal this. and desolate. I like it. If the duck was a songbird, mm. uh, he told me that the oboe in Bach cantatas is always accompanied, like when someone's singing as an angel, there's almost invariably a uh, oboe accompaniment. Like I it's like always that. supposed to represent the voice of an angel. Okay. Um, and uh, the travel agent was playing an oboe, exact. or like an oboe-like instrument. It was. A, it sounded like a... Like a... <laughs> it sounded like... a phone. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, and it kind of looked like a sausage. I don't know. It wasn't like an actual... It had two reads, though, so gets you there. Whatever. Yeah, and the score is by Thomas Newman, uh-huh. uh, Randy Newman's cousin. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, I-, I wouldn't have minded um, a Mildred Pierce-style breakup of these, where we have um, each one has the opening sequence, because it doesn't need to be the long... Or whatever. I don't know. It's a great opening credit sequence. We didn't talk about it last time. Yeah. But it's like, it's it's a bird's eye helicopter shot of like starting in San Francisco, crossing the United States. We see uh, Salt Lake City, St. Louis, Chicago, and New York. And um, ends in Central ev- Park. Eventually ends in Central And I'm like, this is good. Have you seen that angel in Central Park? Uh, I've been to Central Park. I don't think I have. I don't remember. Seeing okay. Because I saw this. I haven't been to New York uh, in a long time, but the, I'd seen Angels in America before going to New York. So when I went to Central Park, I make sure to, to seek it out. Oh, okay. Yeah. And yeah, so it, like the the angel that they show right at the end is a real like statue fountain. Did it and turn to look at you? It, <laughs> it's like uh, the baby in the closet with Principal Skinner and Mrs. Krabappel. <laughs> And they were making babies in the closet, and the baby looked at me. <laughs> so it wasn't like that. <laughs> was that a, was that a like two skips across? No, the I water? just had to remember the scene. I got it, and it's good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I feel like we're back to table setting again, which a little bit because it's like everyone's in new situations. Roy's in the hospital. Lewis and Joe are together. Uh, Harper's on her own. In the, the mother's in Brooklyn. Yeah, it just feels like uh, the momentum we gain from part three doesn't bleed into part four. It kind of feels like we're building momentum up again, and that's fine. 
it just uh or maybe it's just because we had food in between and i'm yeah. like a little sleepy but it just uh this one felt a little slower than last time okay me. yeah maybe a little yeah because they they were conceived as two well how was it he did one and then were they, were they supposed to always be together or uh i mean the way that i heard it is that part one was shown at the end of one theater season and then part two was the season opener for the next season. Right. When I saw it, it was all in one day. But I mean, did he write them all like as intended to be seen all at once or? I don't know. Who's to say? Yeah. Because it just, yeah, it felt like. And actually that makes more sense. Like you can't just keep building off of something if there's like a big three month break or whatever it is between the two. Yeah. I think it works well to kind of start anew at the beginning of, of part two just because. I don't know, there's so much energy going up, like, you need a little release, and so I think it kind of feels good to, like, at least have the feeling of starting from square one a little bit, like, not totally starting over, but, oh, we gotta talk about that funeral. <laughs> Great funeral. Uh, Big wig on that uh, singer. <laughs> you know, I think in, in, in 50 years, when this class of, of RuPaul Drag Race alums finally meets their end, this is what funerals are gonna look like. I mean... Sign me up. Uh, I watching it, it was like you know, all right. We got lady lip syncing to old gospel. We got a full choir. We have a whole cadre of drag. I was going to say that the, the uh, all the attendees of this funeral are dressed in drag. Some of them to mm, greater or lesser effect. You had a problem with that. The Barbara one was bad. I'm just going to say it. <laughs> I the the Tino Turner one was bad for me. Yeah, not the best. But, also, uh, there were some like leather daddies there, and it's like you couldn't put on a suit. Why are you dressed like the village people at a funeral? What the fuck? Well, they wanted to meet the mood of the funeral. I also, I, you could still like put a collared shirt underneath your <laughs> fucking harness or something. One thing that I thought because I the in the play, there's nothing. They don't show any scenes inside the funeral. It's like just them like walking out and mm. prior complaining that it's like. That was so undignified, like, blah, 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 blah. And so, like, the, the everything at the funeral is an addition just for this movie. Okay. And I was thinking, like, or while, like, the camera was, like, kind of panning around, like, showing the people in attendance, it was showing some, like, older black folks who, like, looked visibly uncomfortable. And I was like, I, saw I think these are supposed to be the parents. Oh, yeah. And it's just, this is one of those things that, like, makes me feel like mike nichols was like a true ally because like he kind of understood like the intersectionality of like being black maybe even religious still and genderqueer like all at the same time like and it's like at this funeral those things are colliding right and so like the parents are like half ashamed to be there while all of the chosen family are like celebrating like seeing her off with with glitter and and songs and showmanship and things like that sure so, i know it was just a little addition to the movie that wasn't in the play that i think added a little fabric to it yeah i agree it was a nice touch so it was a joyful moment yeah i don't think i have anything else to say about this one okay well should we jump into part five then yeah go back out there we're doing pretty good here we're, we're i'm hanging in there we got two more to go yeah i think i think i can do it we've only gone through Two and a half bottles of wine. Okay. Yeah, I feel... I mean, the, We're the, doing like half a bottle of wine per episode. That food helped a lot. Yeah, yeah. No, that was a good call. That was a good call. <sighs> All right. Well, here we go. Back in, and uh, we'll see you next time. Keep your
for that rainbow. Thank you.